0: Welcome to the Mulcahy Law Firm Podcast. For over 25 years, Mulcahy Law Firm has helped plan communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. Please go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening. Here's Beth Mulcahy. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to class number nine of our 2022 Virtual HOA Condo Academy. We're in partnership with the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We have a really great class planned for you this morning. My name is Beth Mulcahy, and I am the managing partner and senior attorney for the Mulcahy Law Firm in Phoenix, Arizona. I've enjoyed working with HOAs and condominiums as their legal counsel for over 25 years. My firm currently represents over a 1,000 planned communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. I also currently serve on my HOA board and have for many years. Before we dive into the topics of today's seminar, I want to definitely reach out to you and find out who's in our audience today so um, I can tailor the information best to our presentation today. So we're going to be talking about rental restrictions, which is going to cover short-term rentals, how to best handle rentals um, in your communities, whether they're long or short-term, um, the, uh, statutory law that pertains to associations, um, and a lot of other really good things that um, pertain to just how rentals are managed in your association. So got a poll here for you this morning. It's already up on your screen. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, make sure that you enter in the comments section um, your answer to these two poll questions. So the two questions are, um, number one, in which city do you reside? Um, It's important we're asking that just so that we can get feedback to the respective cities that we partner with, who's here from that city. And then the second question is, what is your current role with the association, um, if you have one? So are you a board member? Are you a manager? Are you a homeowner? Or are you other? And we're going to dive kind of like right into the agenda this morning, so we have a lot to cover. And then we're going to give you the poll results here in just a minute. So what's on today's agenda? While we wait for the poll results to come in, let's talk about today's seminar and our topic, rental restrictions. I mean, you can barely open the paper, newspaper, or if you're reading it online, checking it out online, without hearing about some story pertaining to rental properties, whether it's short-term rental properties, maybe it's problems. Just issues in general with rentals are something that is becoming probably one of the top five things that our firm is being asked for advice on. So it's a really hot topic in Arizona right now. It's really important for us to delve into today. What can the board do? What are the the things that we can do under the law to find out information about renters? What types of amendments can we pass in our CCNRs for rental restrictions? And what type of regulations can there be so that people are following, um, so that short-term renters and owners who are landlords are following the association's documents? As always, we're going to have a free Q&A at the end of the class today, where I'm going to answer every question that's submitted. We encourage you to submit your questions via the chat box or Zoom or the comment section on Facebook Live. But we do ask that we limit it to one question per person and try to be as specific as possible. And it's really hard to do follow-up questions while we're teaching a live virtual seminar like this to find out more information about the question. So try to be really specific and concise so that I'm sure to be able to answer your question today. Also, as part of this class, we're going to talk a little bit about the five new laws that are going to be going into effect here very soon on September 24th. Um, and so this would be kind of like your last primer on the new legislation before it goes into effect here later this week. So let's go back and see who's here with us today. The results of our poll are in. In terms of which city you reside in, we have representation today from Chandler, 7%, Glendale, 4%, Goodyear, 2%, Mesa, 9%, Peoria, seven percent Phoenix, 30%. Wow, that's huge. Scottsdale, 33%, also huge. Um, Surprise, 4%, and Tempe, 4%. So we have really a a great representation of all the um, different cities throughout the Valley of the Sun. So wonderful. Thanks for being here with us today. Okay, next question. What is your current role in the association? 52% of you here today are board members, 11% are managers, and 30% are interested homeowners. 7% at the tail end as other. So while we have a really great representation, the entire Valley this morning in our our, uh, virtual seminar, and we also have almost, you know, a a pretty even mix of board members and homeowners. Um, And that's great because we want to, you know, give a presentation that is going to be helpful and useful to the board as they're navigating rental issues and also homeowners. Some of the homeowners here today may have a neighbor that is um, rental property and they're not happy about that. Or maybe one of the homeowners is actually renting their property and they want to know how they can best work with the association. So thanks everybody for being here today. Great information and feedback as we start the presentation. Okay, so let's get into the nitty-gritty on rentals and rental restrictions and what associations can do. First off, um, for those of you who may not be familiar with our firm, we have um, about 60 different cheat sheets. And these cheat sheets um, are on different topics pertaining to HOA and condo law. Basically, how we came up with the 60 different topics, 60 plus topics, is we take a question that's an issue that we're hearing time and time again. Questions about whether it's reserve studies or how to have a successful annual meeting or what does the open meeting law in Arizona say? We have a specific cheat sheet, which is a deep dive on rental properties um, that we're going to be sharing with you on Zoom and Facebook Live today. So after the presentation today, take a quick peek at this cheat sheet. It has great information. You can also share it with your board or with other homeowners if, if they're interested. It's just a great quick read, about four to five minutes on everything you need to know about rental properties and associations. We're going to be sharing that with you shortly if we haven't already, and you can also find all of our cheat sheets, including this one, on our website at mokahilawfarm.com. Okay, so let's start out with the history of rentals and short-term rentals in Arizona. I think we can all agree that over the past few years, there has been an enormous increase in the number of rental properties in Arizona. And this includes short-term vacation rentals like the RBO or HomeAway or Airbnb. At least once or twice a week, I'm contacted by a board regarding a problem with a difficult tenant who's maybe not following the association's documents, or maybe who they think might be violating the law or misbehaving on association property. And this is a very common question that we're getting right now. It's important to remember, just as a baseline starting point, that the CCRs are a contract between the association and an owner. And it's just like any other contract that um, is established in business or in the law. And so there are respective responsibilities and obligations and expectations which relate to the contract. And that being said, it's really important for each association to review your cc and and figure out what they say regarding rental properties. Like can an association owner who wants to rent a property, can they rent it for how long? Um, are there any sort of restrictions on that particular rental? And so, just important to remember check the contract. That's kind of a first plate we're going to talk about here today. So, everybody, to get baseline knowledge of what's in your documents about rental properties, you need to check your CCRs. Next, we also need to be aware of the fact that Arizona law has some statutory law. Has some restrictions in in it about rental properties in a condominium or a planned community, and we're going to be talking about those different um, restrictions here today during this presentation. And actually, one piece of the new legislation, or one of the bills, deals specifically with short term rentals. And like I said, that bill is going to be going into effect this weekend. Um, and so it's really great timing that we're having this class. So important to look at the CCNRs. Important to know and understand what the law is in Arizona, specifically Arizona statutory law regarding the rights of owners to rent and also what the association can ask for from a landlord owner. Also important to think about the fact that under Arizona law, if there is going to be some sort of a restriction on rentals in an HOA or a condominium, it really needs to be in the contract of the CCNRs pursuant to statutory law. So that just kind of ties together the contract and the law. If you want to, you know, rent your property um, or you want to have restrictions on renting properties and just minimum time periods to rent or absolute prohibition of rentals, it really needs to be in, in your association CCNRs. Let's switch over and talk a little bit about one of the most common questions that I get from boards. We know somebody has a a rental property um, in our community, and we want to ask for more information from the landlord owner about the rental property. Um, So it's important for you to know that Arizona law specifically tells us as associations what we can ask for from a landlord owner, and it's very limited. So a common question that I get for boards is, can we have a copy of their lease between the landlord owner and the tenant? The Arizona law does not allow us to mandate that they provide us a copy of the lease. There are some things that we can ask for, and that would be right pursuant to Arizona when this applies to condominiums, and land communities. So here are the three things that can ask for as an association from a landlord owner. Number one the name and contact information for any adults who are occupying the unit. You can have a form maybe that has a a listing for the owner, landlord, plus the name and contact information for adults in the unit or lot. We also, as an association, number two can ask for the time period of the lease, including the beginning and ending dates of the tenancy. So when the lease starts and when the lease ends. And third, we can ask for a description of the license plate numbers and description of the vehicle for the tenant and the license plate numbers for the tenant's vehicles. Um, so those are really the, the only three things we can ask for. And that's, let's face it, that's not a lot of info, right? So it's just the name, contact information for the adults in the unit, time period of the lease, including beginning and ending dates, and um, a description of the license plate number and vehicle of the tenant. If the associations an age-restricted community. We have an additional thing that we can ask for. Now, what do I mean by age-restricted community? Um, any community that's designated as a 55 and over community under the Fair Housing Act, you also can ask as a fourth category of information. Um, you can ask for a government-issued identification for the tenant with a photograph of the tenant on it and confirmation that the tenant meets the minimum age restriction for the association CCNRs, which is like 55 or over. Now, why can we bolster that? Because in order to be um, certified as a 55 and over community, we have to have 80% of the occupants in the unit or lot being age 55 or over. And that, that can be satisfied by just one occupant occupying the unit or lot being age 55. So if we have a tenant coming in, at least one of those tenants in a 55 and over community must be age 55 or over if your association is designated as a 55 and over community. um. So bottom line on that, not much we can ask for in terms of you know, details regarding a tenant from the landlord or owner. And again, we cannot under the law ask for a copy of the lease. Now, the tenant or the landlord can gratuitously give that to the board, but in my experience, they are hesitant to do that and they don't want to usually do that. Okay, can we charge any fees or registering a tenant or having a a new tenant move into the association? Yes, there is a minimal fee under the law that the association can charge the owner for each new tenant. Um, And that fee is no more than $25. And again, that fee can be charged for any new tenant but it can't be charged if the same tenant is carrying over for an additional time period in an extension of where they extend their lease type of thing. So it's one time fee per tenant. And if the association can request that information from the landlord owner, if the landlord owner doesn't provide that information, the association can charge a $15 late fee if the landlord owner does not pay within 15 days after the postmarked request for this $25 fee and the information regarding the tenant. So bottom line, quick recap, there's three categories of information that we can ask for from a landlord owner regarding one the tenant. There's a fourth category if you're 55 and over community. You can charge a $25 fee per tenant. The information that we can request and we request the payment of $25 feet per tenant and um, 15 days passes and they haven't paid it, we can add on a $15 late charge. Now, there are a couple things that we are prohibited from doing under Arizona statutory law regarding tenants in an uh, enjoy or condo. So we, as I said previously, we can't require the tenant's rental location or a copy of the tenant's lease with the landlord owner. What are some other interesting aspects of the law pertaining to rental properties and HOAs and condos in Arizona? So something that's really kind of fascinating is as part of this, all this, this new legislation kind of all went into effect back in 2016, where they really like, I how much information we can request from the landlord owner. So as part of this new law back in 1996, they added a section that said that if you're a landlord owner, or if you're an owner who doesn't reside on the property, um, the association can't prohibit or restrict you from serving on the board. Um, and that's really kind of interesting because typically, and I'm in, I'm in favor of this, I think everybody should have an opportunity to serve on their board, whether you live on site or whether you're a landlord or maybe using the property that is more of a, you know, or an enterprise, a business enterprise. We can't prohibit that offsite owner from serving on board. Um, and that's right in statute. Interestingly, though, um, an owner may use a crime-free addendum as part of a Um, And this section does not prohibit the owner's use of a crime-free addendum. So for you who may be familiar with um, the crime-free addendums that may be attached to leases, um, you may want to Google it to find out more information if you're a landlord listening in on this today. Basically, it's just man- the landlord mandates that you know the tenant um, not engage in any criminal activity and there may be some other restrictions that they write into the crime-free lease addendum, like certain types of people that have a felony, may not be eligible to uh, rent, etc. This law that we're talking about here today does not impact a landlord to ask for a crime free addendum to be filled out by their tenant. So it's kind of important because there are some uh, landlord owners that want to find out as much information as they can about the tenants. And this law doesn't prohibit them from doing that. Another really interesting tidbit of this law, and I hate to geek out on you on this, but this is so fascinating, is that the association... Can put something in their documents, meaning the CCNRs, that restricts residency of persons who are required to be registered pursuant to section 13, 38, 21 of the Arizona revised statutes, who are classified as a level two or three sex offender. So apparently this 2016 law gave green light to associations who want to put in a provision in their CCNRs that would limit or restrict registered sex offenders either level two or level three sex offenders from living in the community or owning in the community. Um, So either as a tenant or as an owner. It's interesting that this is put in this retro restriction legislation from 2016. I'm not even sure it's frankly enforceable. Um, I think that might be a case if you go to the Supreme Court of the United States trying to prohibit somebody that has, is a level two or three sex offender from living in an association. But regardless, they added it, and it says that we can lawfully enforce any provision in our CCNRs that prohibits level two or three sex offenders from living in the association. Now, I don't have a lot of clients since 2016 that have run out their Kansas amendment to their CCNRs limiting level two or three sex offenders. I am aware of a couple of associations in Arizona that have implemented this section. And it has not been challenged, so um, it's just kind of an interesting part of the law that I wanted to talk about with you today. Another important part of the law is um, the question of fines. So, if you have a tenant that, and we're going to talk about this a little more in a minute, but if you have a tenant who is not following the association's documents, we can find the owner for the tenant's behavior, but we cannot find the owner for not providing the information that you know, the statute says we can get from the owner regarding the tenant. So um, we can charge the $25 registration fee. And if they don't pay within 15 days, we can charge a $15 late fee. But we cannot ding a landlord owner for not giving us this information under the statute with a larger fine amount. So that's really important that we talk about. Also, it's important to note that we cannot charge a parking fee if The same fee is not being charged to an owner that's occupying their lot, So you have to have same fees would be charged to owners and tenants in the association. So sometimes you'll see an association say, well, we want to charge the tenants more or, you know, access to the pool or to be able to use the gym at the association. And the tenant can't do that because the owner has the right to delegate the use of the common areas to their tenant. And um, we can't make an add-on special charge that's discriminatory against the tenants. Okay, um, a couple other points uh, that I want to mention that are just kind of interesting tidbits is, I don't know if you know this, but under the law that was passed in 2016, a landlord can be held criminally responsible for not abating criminal activity within a uh, a intuator or a condo. And so if you're one of these associations that might be listening in today, or maybe you're a neighbor of a property where you think there's a short-term rental and you think there may be criminal activity going on there, it's important to note that under the law, the landlord could be responsible for any criminal behavior and could be prosecuted for that. I've only seen one case since 2016, where this has actually happened. But I am aware of one case in Maricopa County where a landlord, it was actually, you know, a slumlord, so to speak, had, you know, was renting to a lot of drug houses. And one particular one had escalated into really a mess and there was a drive by shooting. And the the county prosecutor did bring charges against landlord and there was a trial. And one of my clients, the board, was asked to testify against the landlord. And there were repercussions uh, against this landlord. I believe he was convicted. And it's on his record. It wasn't a felony or anything, but it was a misdemeanor. It's notable because that can happen. So why is that important? If you're an association that has one of these bad tenants, so to speak, that's violating the law, maybe drug activity, criminal activity, Make sure you are documenting it by contacting the police when you have evidence that um, is credible. Make sure that you are visiting your local police precinct to ask them to investigate drive-by this property. Make sure that you're notifying the association's board so that they can consult with their attorney to talk about what sort of legal remedies we may have as an association to crack down on the landlord to curb the tenant's bad behavior. Okay, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about um, what are some responsibilities of landlords. There's a a couple new laws that are going to apply to different things that landlord owners and associations are going to have to comply with. And there also are some, you know, county laws that are in taxes that are also the landlords are going to have to comply with. So let's just kind of touch base on those quickly. So first things first. This law has been on the books. Landlords must register their rental properties. and so this is pursuant to Arizona Revised Section 33 1902. An owner of a residential property located in Arizona is required to file a notification form with the county where the residential property is located. The notification form has information that needs to be filled out, and the information is the property owner's name, address, a telephone number, the street address of the residential property, Um, at the year the property was built. And owners who don't comply with this requirement to register their rental properties after notification and a 10-day grace period are subject to a civil penalty of $1,000 plus $100 per month for every month the owner is not in compliance with this notification requirement. So how does this come into play? Of course, landlords need to register their rental properties with the county where the residential property is located. How do we know if the landlord has done this? The best thing that you can do is go to the county assessor's website. If you're in Maricopa County, which probably most of us on this call are today, you could just Google um, Maricopa County Assessor's Office. And then you can do a search by the address of the property. So wherever the uh, rental property, the address of that rental property, you just type that in. And you click on the net personal number for that property. And you will be able to see right away if the property is registered as a rental property or not. And why does the county do this? Well, first of all, they they want to have this information at the fingertips, number one, to contact the owner. Number two, they want the taxes on each rental. And so they're very in favor of making sure that this law is being complied with by all landlord owners. And so... Basically, what comes into play is maybe an association has a rental property. And I have some associations, actually, that keep a list of rental properties. And they check every year to see if the landlord has registered their rental property. The county, I go into the county assessor's office, like I said, typing in the address of the property. And then there's a code that indicates whether it's rental property or not. You'll see it right on the screen when the, the property address is clicked on. You can file and notify the county that a property is being used as a rental property if it's not registered as a rental property. And the county will definitely investigate that and pursue that owner further. So that's kind of an important thing to remember. So if you're an owner-landlord that's on this call today, you must register your rental property where it's the county with residential property is located. If you're an HOA board or a condo board and you want to check to see if a property is has been registered as a rental property because you have knowledge that it's being rented out, um, you can go to the assessor's office for the county that you live in, type in the address and find out if it is registered as a rental property or not. If it's not, you can tattle on them and the county will investigate and pursue them. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some other laws that have impacted associations recently. So. We talked a lot about the 2016 legislative session and history is like really important for you to understand how this short-term rental um, situation has evolved in Arizona. So prior to 2016, how rentals worked in different cities, towns, municipalities, and counties was that the cities had in place ordinances and restrictions and zoning, which limited where transient or nightly rentals could be housed. And so prior to 2016, in in most cities, towns, counties, and municipalities, you had to be zoned to be like a hotel or transient rental in order to do nightly rentals. And most cities, towns, the county, most had a 30-day minimum rental period in residential neighborhoods. Um, And so prior to 2016, associations didn't have to worry about nightly rentals because it was all taken care of by the, the structure of the different city, towns, county, you know, that the association's property was located. They had these restrictions in place, so they were enforcing them. And as an association, we didn't have to worry about nightly hotel type hotels. But the whole game changed. And really, in 2016, the legislature passed some new legislation really change things up for associations and i think it's a, was a result just looking back on it now it, this was just at the point where airbnb and these um, short-term rental companies were just really starting to become known and more popular and um, i think what what happened is the lobbyists for these different companies um, lobbied to have the law changed so that these short-term zoning and you know, residential restrictions could be lifted from HRAs and condos so that you could do Nightly rentals in these different areas and you didn't have to worry about the city or town or county zoning. So what did they do in 2016? Our legislature took away the ability, or limited, severely limited, the ability of a city, town, or county from prohibiting or restricting the use of or regulation of. Vacation rentals are short-term rental properties. Basically, any of those zoning requirements regarding, you know, this is a residential property, you have to have a minimum of 30 days, which may have been codified, the ordinances with the city, town, or county. Those were all lifted when the statute went into effect in 2016. And basically, the cities, towns, counties, can, you know, regulate these short-term nightly rentals anymore through ordinances or zoning. What did that mean for associations? Well, they enhanced a law, Arizona legislature that said, well, if associations want to rent, you know, if they want to restrict rentals or they want to prohibit rentals, this can be done, but you need to put it in your CTRs. So really, this was a game changer for associations on rentals because it wasn't really on our radar that we needed to have a minimum time period for rentals in an association because The city already took care of that for us. It had to be 30 days in those cities. And it was kind of a newer thing that was evolving with this short-term rental thing. You weren't seeing these nightly rentals popping up in associations. Well, so 2016, game changer for sure for associations. Legislature says to associations, condos and HOAs, if you want to put into place short-term rental restrictions or minimum rental periods, such as you know, you have that 60-day minimum rental in our ABC HOA association. It has to be in the CCNRs. Now, I think what happened here is that the legislature isn't fully grasping how difficult it is to amend the CCNRs for most associations. A lot of associations have a very high percentage of owner approval that's needed to amend the association's documents. So we see associations with amendment provisions that could be as high as you need 90% approval of the members it could be low as 67% if you're a condo, maybe even as low as 51% if you're a planned community. Bottom line is, it's difficult to get people to vote for these amendments, and it's difficult to get the requisite percentage. So by the legislature saying, oh, well, do you want this? Just put it into your cc Well, in theory, Yes. I get that, but in practical, you know, reality of this world, it's really difficult to get owners to vote on anything. We've even had situations in association where we are voting to get money back to association owners and we can't even get the requisite percentage to do that. So um, if that isn't telling, I don't know what is. Basically, this just really put associations on pickle because starting in 2016, they either needed to get the requisite approval of the membership to amend their CCRs to put in place minimum rental periods or other rentals, or they were stuck allowing nightly rentals. It's kind of like paralysis um, analysis, by paralysis or paralysis by analysis, you whatever know, the term is on that. And basically, while they were waiting to see what happened and how this law may affect them what was happening in our economy, right? 2016 to 2022, what did we see? We saw people buying up properties and people moving to Arizona, not only from Wisconsin and Illinois and Michigan and Minnesota, but from California and other states where they were leaving because of the high taxes. And so we saw a huge influx of new residents coming to Arizona, you know, snapping up properties and also a lot of investors Um, And with that change in ownership, we started to see a change in the demographics of the association. And why is that important? It's important because associations now maybe went from having one or two short-term rental properties to 20, 30, 40, 50 in an association. And as time passed, we started to see more and more rental properties in each community. And why is that important? Because when the association started to see the problems that were associated with rental properties, and they kind of got their act together and decided, hey, we should pass an amendment to our CCNRs, maybe there's a hundred owners in the association. And now we have 35% of those owners who are investors or who are renting their property. And they're not going to vote yes to amend CCNRs to limit a restricted time period for rentals. So now associations are kind of stuck because they, they can't get the votes to amend CCNRs to implement minimum rental periods or prohibit rentals altogether. Now, that's not every association, but the trend that we've seen. Um, and there are ways around that. Of course, we can um, grandfather all of the existing owners which um, can grandfather the people that are currently renting as long as they're owners. Um, there's a couple of workarounds on that or polls, um, but it does make it more difficult. So it's important, it's important that we talk about it and mention it. Um, so 2016, like I said, game changer, the law changed. We saw a huge influx of investors in the summer of 2019. We start actually 2018 19. We started to see a lot of rumblings in the newspaper. Sedona residents of Sedona were very upset about the number of short term rentals that were coming into their city, and um, there's a high, very high percentage of uh, short term rentals in that particular city. And frankly, it was starting to become you know more prevalent everywhere. Um, if you look at the recent statistics for Scottsdale, it's four thousand plus short-term rentals in Scottsdale alone. But these are some big numbers. Uh, so in 2019, the legislature kind of started to figure out that, hey, wait a minute here, this is becoming a problem that we're seeing in the newspaper. People are complaining about this. And so in 2019, the legislature passed a law just to kind of like a try to correct this just the minimalist possible effort. So they passed a law that expanded upon the areas where a city, town, or county could restrict short-term rentals. And that could include a prohibition against short-term rentals being used for non-residential purposes, including for special events or for retail, restaurant, banquet space, event center, or other similar use. Basically what they were saying is, okay, the town now, city or town or county can restrict short-term rentals in just this little way. And that is like we can say you can't use a short-term rental for non-residential purposes. So what was happening is, you know, these big beautiful homes in the valley were being converted into, you know, Super Bowl party central, and they were bringing in DJs and all kinds of crazy stuff. Or maybe they're converting it into a banquet space for wedding receptions, and you know, got a hundred cars clogging up the streets of a HOA. And so this was just kind of like a little fine-tuning. They were dipping their toe in the water. The legislature to okay, we're going to just crack down just a little bit on these short-term rentals in 2019. So you can't use short-term rentals for non-residential purposes, like retail, restaurant, banquet space, event centers, or similar use. Okay, well, that's helpful. Um, but it didn't address the big problems. And really what we started to see in 2019 was it got the governor's attention. So Governor Ducey started talking about this in the summer of 2019. And especially one time was really um, kind of stuck in my mind was in the summer of 2019, Governor Ducey was in Sedona and he actually made a statement about it after meeting up there. And basically the gist of it is, is that he, I understand this is a problem. And the legislature needs to go back to the drawing board and figure out a way to correct this problem so that we do have some regulation of short-term rentals, because then it just basically become anything goes, right? Unless passing an amendment to your CCRs. And so, you know, then what happened? And of course the next legislative session was pandemic year, 2020, and that was a skinny legislative year. We had very few bills passed other than budget. In fact, there were well, no HOA bills that year. Last year was still what I would call in the 2021 legislature a recovery year for um, the legislature. And, you know, we didn't have anything that was especially notable that would help associations that are dealing with a large influx of short-term red in their community. Well, let's fast forward to this year. This year, finally, 2022, the legislature decided to pass a law that's going to go into effect this weekend. That places some additional burdens on the landlord owner to provide information to cities. So let's talk a little bit about that law because that's definitely going to be a game changer for associations, injuries, and condominiums that are managing difficult situations, uh, short-term rentals. Let's talk a little bit about that. It's Senate Bill 1168. It was signed into law. It was one of the last bills that was signed into law this year. Um, on July 6, 2022, which will go into effect this weekend. Um, and again, this law applies to planned communities and condominiums. And basically, it sets forth the ways that cities and towns may regulate vacation or short-term rentals. And so there are a number of different things that landlord-owners now must do starting this weekend, September 24th, to register their properties, etc. So let's go through those different requirements that landlord owners have to do and how this can impact positively associations, how we can use this information positively. So number one, the city or town can require the owner to provide emergency contact information for the owner who is responsible for responding to complaints or emergencies. So owner has to provide the city or town with the name and the contact information for an emergency contact on the property. And if they don't do that, there's a penalty of $1,000 against the owner for every 30 days they fail to provide that contact information. So I think the purpose of this first part of the law is let's get the emergency contact. If they don't provide it to us, there's a really stiff penalty per month. Uh, Number two, the city or town can regulate that the owner must obtain and maintain a local regulatory permit or a license. Um, And so now the landlord-owner the city or town mandate since they have to get a permit or a license. Um, some cities already have this in place. I know I was out in Chandler last week teaching a class and um, they already had that on the books. Um, but some cities may, you know, not. And this new law is an opportunity for them to, you know, set up a permitting process. Um, the third requirement that the new legislation has in place is that a city or town may regulate or require that before offering a vacation or short-term rental for rent for the first time, the owner must notify all single-family residential properties adjacent to, directly, and diagonally across the street from the property. So, if this only applies to the first time that somebody's going to make this property in an H.O.A. or condo a rental property, short-term rental property, Or vacation property, they have to go to their neighbors that are adjacent to, directly, and diagonally across the street from the property and let them know hey, I'm using this now as a vacation or a short term rental property. Um, The next requirement that the city or town may have is to require the owner of the property to display their permit that the city has given them or license number, if any, on any advertisement for the vacation or short term rental property the owner maintains. So if they're putting that advertisement in a newspaper, on Facebook, on the internet and some other way, Instagram, on VRBO or any of these other rental companies online or the realtors, you know, putting it out on the internet on their behalf, the city or town can require that the permit number or the actual license number be listed on the advertisement. And last but not least, the city or town can require the vacation or rental, short-term rental. To maintain appropriate liability insurance to cover the vacation or short term rental in the aggregate of at least $500,000, or to advertise and offer each rental to an online lodging marketplace that automatically provides equal or greater coverage. This bill also states that a city or town can deny issuance of a permit or a license for a rental property for any of the following. So, if they don't give the information, so let's say that in the past they have failed to give it to us and now they're coming, it could be denied by the city or town. If they don't pay the license fee or the permit fee that the city requires or the town requires, if at the time of the application, the owner has a suspended permit or license for the same vacation or short-term rental, they can say, "Mm -hmm, "Mm -hmm, I'm going to give you um, you a new permit. If the landlord or the applicant on behalf of the owner or landlord gives false information in the application, they can be denied. And lastly, interestingly, if the owner is a registered sex offender or has been convicted of any serious felony in the last five years, the city or town may deny issuance, permit, or license for a rental property. Remember, though, that this is a, a new law, right? And basically, the governor just signed it July 6th, and it doesn't go into effect until this weekend. Now, I don't know how many cities, towns, municipalities, and the county has, you know, put into place these restrictions, adopting an ordinance to allow the city or town to have an administrative process for all this. I don't know where every city or town is on this right now. What I would recommend is if you are a board member or if you are a owner landlord who wants to find out more information think about which city, town, county that you live in and contact them and find out how you put into place anything regarding these new um, restrictions. I'm guessing that the county, um, they already have a list of the registered rental properties. I'm guessing that they will, at some point, contact you and tell you the procedure that you follow. Um, Now, if you're a board that has a problem tenant or a problem landlord owner that's not making sure that their tenants complying with your documents, you also should reach out to your city, town, county, and find out what restrictions they have in place in light of this new law and uh, what the procedures are for you to make complaints, to document complaints regarding short-term rentals. And so that you can put into place a procedure going forward for how to best handle difficult short-term rentals and vacation rentals. Okay, let's, here's, I want to make sure that we cover a couple of things that I think are really important on a regulating budget. You know, number one, I just want to emphasize importance of the fact that this is a, this problem is, is evolving and it's, it's going to get much bigger um, in the future. I mean, I don't know if anybody reads the New York Times, but recently the New York Times had an article and they listed Scottsdale, Arizona as the bachelorette party capital of the United States. And while that's good for revenue and income and dollars coming into our businesses in Scottsdale, that's maybe not something that's going to be good for HOAs and condos that are facing um, short-term rentals in your community. Because we all have known that those parties are going to be yes. a bit on the wild side and it may cause issues in your community. Some other things to think about is we have the Super Bowl coming up in Arizona and we really need to have our ducks in a row for associations. Be ready for what's going to happen with that, right? Because whenever there's a Super Bowl or a really large event like the Waste management open, the golf tournament in January, we see a lot of traffic in the form of short-term rentals. So we want to be ready for that. So a couple of things that I wanted to talk about are what can we do if we have a problem with short-term rentals? Um, you know, we need to have a plan in place so that when the issue arises, how do we do So number one, as an association, um, if you have information that the person is an owner landlord is renting their property as a short-term rental, you want to check with the county. Talked about the assessor's office to see if it's actually registered as a short-term rental. If it's not, have the right to, to notify them that you have facts or you believe that this is a short-term rental and ask them to investigate it. Another thing that's important for you to think about is okay, what are our legal solutions as an association for dealing with mental issues? So number one, if you're having problems in your community and you want to limit them somewhere or prohibit them. Remember that an option is to amend your CCNRs for that purpose. Now you want to make sure that you're consulting with your legal counsel on this so they can help you with the language and they can strategize with you. Our firm helps many associations through this process, and we have there's some considerations we have to think about. Wanna talk about there's a new case that was decided recently that's Free for Arizona that may limit our ability to pass amendments to our CCNRs. We want to look at whether you're a condominium or a planned community, because traditionally it's more difficult to uh, implement rental restrictions in a condominium based upon some provisions in the condominium act. And we also want to look at the hard numbers in your association, like how many properties are being used as rentals and what's the total ownership in your association? What's the relationship between those two numbers? Um, and come up with a strategy to make sure that we meet your objectives as you're managing We have a great cheat sheet on amending CCNRs um, on our website or our cheat sheet tab. It's okay, com. It's called amending CCNRs, a five step plan. And actually, on the flip side of that sheet is um, something on rental restrictions and different type of rental restriction amendments. You can... So, what are some solutions again for dealing with the rental issues? Contact the uh, County assessor's office, see if they're listed as a short term rental. If they're not, a channel on them. Amend your CCRs to come up with rental restrictions that are going to limit or put minimum time restrictions on or um, prohibit altogether rentals in your community. Documenting issues with the tenants is humongous. You must do that. And so if you have a neighbor that's complaining about a short term rental, Ask them to put in writing what their concerns are and what happened, and then we need to take that information to the police or contact the police if there's something criminal like no activity going on there, or contact the police if there's a really loud party going on. Um, send letters provides information so that the association can send letters to the owner and landlord regarding the dead tenant. Also, we have the ability to fine the owner and landlord for the tenant's behavior. I right? definitely recommend doing that. Uh, we do have to give notice of the violation and the violation of course has to be in CC CCNR's bylaws, law rules by the tenant and then an opportunity to be heard so the landlord owner would you know have an opportunity to give a response to the allegations and then we can determine whether to sign them or not and the sign has to be resettled. So finding them is another great option. We have the right to file a lawsuit against the owner. Or any violations of the CCRs. And remember, our contract is with the owner, it's not with the tenant. So, any dealing that we have on the bad tenant or the problem tenant is we always interact with the landlord or the landlord's designated agent. We really don't deal directly with the tenant, we can't find the tenant because they're not part of the contract. We can only find the owner. We can only name the owner as a defendant in a lawsuit that we file. Um, one really successful strategy that we've had during you know, when it's difficult or bad tenants is to just have our firm pick up the phone and call the landlord. And we have been really successful in that approach many times. And here's kind of how the conversation goes. It starts out where, you know, I say, hi, I'm Beth Mulcahy. I'm the attorney for ABC Association. And the board's asked me to contact you regarding your tenant in blank. And right away, the landlord owner says, oh, the board and the neighbor is playing so much. She's Mrs. Kravitz. She just, they can't even take their trash can out without her snapping pictures of that. And I usually say something like, okay, well, um, are you at your desk right but, now? Or are you at your computer? Can I send you some information regarding some things that are going on in our community related to your tenant? And maybe I'll send a picture of the 25 cars. From the raging party or the view autos all over the front lawn and, you know, just the police report showing that the EA agents just, um, you know, raided the property last weekend or whatever the issue is. And usually after I start providing the evidence, and that's again why it's really important to have that evidence, the landlord owner starts to change, their tone starts to change. I'm starting to say, if you don't do something about this bad tenant, you know, we are going to fine you um, after notice an opportunity you heard, or maybe there already have been fines that are levied. We're going to file a lawsuit against you. You're going to be responsible to pay my attorney's fees when we prevail in the lawsuit. And this is going to be a really expensive problem for you. Usually at that point, the light goes on. They switch over to our side and they say, Can I hire you to the tenant? Um, of course, we can't. We can't do that because it'd be a conflict of interest for me. But what I do give them is the names of eviction attorneys and help them by giving us the documents and the evidence they need to get the bad tenant. I've been doing this a quarter of a century. I cannot believe how long, but it's actually gone by really fast. But I have the best stories of anybody on uh, that, you know, lawyers kind of generally don't have like really I mean, good, juicy stories, but I can say that um I feel like I guess you've seen everything pretty much. I mean, I've seen like homeless encampments that have come to neighborhoods because of a short-term rental scheme. I said DEA agents storming the property. We've had drive-by shootings. We've had drug houses. We've had people strung out on the lawn, the front lawn, you know, like in very bad health conditions after a raging party. I mean, the key thing is we have to document everything and then provide it to the landlord owner. If they don't, do what they should do, which is evict the tenant and write it to the judge. And the judge will give us the remedies that we need it in a lawsuit. So picking up the phone and talking to the landlord owner is a really great suggestion because it kind of cuts to in chase. You're not sending letters and emails and everything. You're just getting right to the bottom of the issue and hopefully getting them to change their mind do something different. Remember that the best way to get the tenant to comply with the association CCRs rules and other requirements, is to make it hurt in a landlord's pocket. This is a business for them. They are running this property not to lose money. They want to either break even or make money. And if we start to show them that this tenant is going to you know cause them to lose money or legal problems and have to pay legal fees on their side because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, trust me, they will light will go on and they will start behaving. Of course, our last yeah. resort always is to file a lawsuit or to to the Arizona Department of Real Estate and file a complaint through the administrative law process against the landlord owner. Filing a lawsuit is going to have a lot more teeth um, because they have remedies that the judge can force the owner to do certain things. The ADRE complaint, they can just issue a ruling that, yes, there's been a violation. There's no like, enforcement arm of um, the office of administrative hearings that would be able to help us. Okay. So, you know, that's basically just a, a really good summary of everything you need to know about rental properties and how to work with them, how to restrict them, how to handle problems. Even this morning, I read an article um, on AZ Central regarding, you know, a non fatal shooting at an Airbnb in Scottsdale on September 9th. And so these problems are not going away. So every association should start thinking about their plan and how you're going to handle short-term bills in your community. Maybe you don't have any problems. That's great if you don't. But if you do, you need to you know talk with your lawyer, consult with me if I'm your lawyer about what our strategy is going to be going forward. Because I recently pulled, pulled some interesting facts um, and stats from different articles um, on AZ Central and the internet. A 2021 study by Northeastern University found that higher rates of short term rental listings in Boston neighborhoods were linked to increased crime. Former Sedona city manager um, Justin Clifton told the Arizona Republic in 2019. That short-term rentals accounted for twenty percent of these, um, these city's entire housing stock, and so you know we really need to be thinking about how this is affecting us. I, I mentioned also earlier, Scottsdale has over four thousand short-term rentals within their city. Generally speaking, it's thought that maybe not all of those are even rented are even registered in the city, um, and so four thousand plus maybe in Scottsdale plus plus plus. Another stat Scottsdale police were called nearly 800 times to short term rentals between July 1st, 2021 and June 1st, 2022. That's something to think about. Okay, let's uh, switch over. I just want to make a just mention. Do not forget that there are four other laws in addition to the rental, um, new rental legislation that are going to be going into effect this weekend. We have a great handout on the legislation on the new legislation, which is going to be going into effect. The Four other bills, just briefly: um, Associations can no longer ban artificial grass in associations that allow regular grass and turf in their communities. There's some intricacies to that. You can still pass some rules regarding, you know, how much of the land can have artificial grass, and it has to look nice, et cetera. But that's a law that you need to know about. And you'll see that in our handout. Also, there is a new law that talks about the ability of owners to peacefully assemble on common areas and expands the ability of owners to have political signs on their property um, regarding association issues when there's a ballot measure sent out. It's kind of an interesting law, and We'll see how that one unfolds um, starting this weekend. Also, first responder flags are now an approved flag that need to be allowed to be flown in association, regardless of what your documents state. And lastly, there's a procedure now for um, terminating a condominium that's created after this new legislation goes into effect. Probably won't see that very often, um, but it's notable and I think you should be aware of it. Okay, it is right now 12.03. 3, I'm only three minutes over, which is good. You have a lot of questions today, which is awesome, over 22. Just a quick recap before we get into the questions. We had over 104 live viewers today on Zoom and many others were with us here on Facebook Live. So thanks everybody for being here. Um, our first question in is from somebody who asked in 2019, we added a six-month minimum rental restriction to our rules and regulations. Is this valid for the HMA to enforce? I mean, I'd have to look at all of your documents, but probably not. It just depends on what your CCNRs say. Maybe your CCNRs have an open ended provision in there that says that rentals are allowed and the board can pass rules regarding minimum time periods, but I doubt it. The short answer would be it really needs to be in your CCNRs and it's not to be enforceable. Maybe your CCNRs allow them to pass rules specifically regarding minimum time period rentals, although I think that's a stretch. I doubt that's the case. But bottom line is this really needs to be in the CCNRs and in and the statute in 2016 specifically so says that. Okay, next question. I submitted an architectural review form in April. I still have not had a response. What are my options? Okay, I know you were at my last presentation that I thought you asked a similar question to. Basically, what I would do is I would write back to the architectural committee and it, give them another copy of it, hopefully you have a copy of it, and ask demand for a response. Say that I submitted this back in April, I haven't received a response yet. I'm asking please for a response and give them a time period. If they don't respond within that time period, you can go to the Arizona Department of Real Estate, file a complaint. You can hire a lawyer to send them a letter. You should check your documents to see if it's automatically approved if they don't respond with that certain time period. I think all of these are good options, but just make more and more effort, write to them and ask them to make a decision on it and give them all these things so that they know and tell them what you're going to do if they don't respond. Okay, question three, upon homeowners' request for an association to provide records, is a Fortplex unit association required to disclose records? Can you clarify? Okay, if you are a homeowner's association, like an HOA, land community, or condominium association, you are required to provide records to your association members if they request those records. You have 10 business days to provide the records to them after they've been requested. You can charge 15 cents per page for any records that they want to copy of. There are some records that can be withheld from disclosure. And, but there's very few, frankly, that been told. Um, some mm-hmm. examples of documents that could be withheld would be like legal opinions from the association's attorney to the board, any litigation that's pending, you we know, really wouldn't be able to give any information regarding that settlement so discussions or the executive session. On the topic of the executive sessions, you will as a homeowner, you're not allowed to review the executive session meeting minutes. So that that's something that you can't have. But basically, you know, there's a lot of information, like 98% of the association's books and records you are to see. So if, you, if a homeowner makes that request in writing and it's not a category that can be withheld, the association needs to get those records to the within 10 business days. Okay, next question. On number four, at a recent board meeting, a homeowner suggested a plan to charge owners who rent their properties $100 per month fee based upon the belief that the owners who rent their properties don't take as good a care of their unit as an owner resident. The fee would be used to offset expenses incurred due to lack of care. Can an HOA charge a fee on this basis? So my short answer would be no. I think I um, talked a little bit on this in my presentation, but I think that that would be discriminating against other landlords. And I don't, I would not suggest doing that. It won't withstand the challenge. Okay. Next question, number five, as treasurer for my board, how much should I report on at an open meeting? Really good question. So I've served as treasurer of my board as well. I think you should give... Just a quick overview at each regular board meeting of, you know, how the association, how much money we have in our, you know, checking account, in our savings account, in our reserve account, in any CDs, when those CDs might be expiring and what the plan is. You should be analyzing or making statements. Like if you have money in banks, is the money spread out so that you're under the FDIC cap in every bank? I mean just make a very short statement, like I've got that on my mirror, making sure that we never get over the FDIC camp, you know, where they wrote the insurance, um, FDIC insurance. We had over the limits um, that's insured. You should talk about the budget for sure. Like point out what I would do typically is I would say we're a little bit over budget on this and here's why and we're a little bit under budget on this and here's why. And Here's our plan to, you know, make sure that everything evens out and we have enough money. Maybe you have litigation or something that's something you didn't plan for and you have way over budget on legal. Um, well, I think this case close to settling or will be paid while we win the case. Just try to have some thought process analysis as to how we're going to make it till December. And do we have enough income coming in to pay our bills? Also, as treasurer, you should getting an update on anything that be happening that you know might be a problem. Like, let's say you've got five owners that are delinquent, um, and that's you know making a pretty hefty dent in the amount of income that's coming of the association, and how that's being handled. While well, we turn these files over to how we in our attorney, and the attorney is pursuing these honors for the debt, et etc. And so, it really should just be five minutes, I would say, at the most and you should just give it over. There's so much money we have. Here's where the money is. You know, we've got a CD that's expiring next week. Here's the plan on what we're going to do with that. Here's our budget. Here's what we're a little over. Here's what we're under. We're doing fine. And if there's a problem like delinquencies, talk a little bit about what you're doing. So it's pretty basic. Just a financial overview what you don't want to do. It's do like 30 minutes. Deep dive, too much information because people, that's too much Your job as a treasurer is to give a a short summary of what's going on. The work package should have all the backup information, including a year-to-date budget, bank statements, everything, so that whoever wants to do a deep dive, they certainly can. Or if they want to individually ask questions, they certainly can. Okay, next question. Can the manager require a copy of the insurance policy on the unit? The contract only recommends insurance. Um, and so I'm guessing that you're trying to get a unit order to provide like contents insurance proof or maybe you even have um, additional insurance requirements. Unless the CCNRs mandate that an owner has to provide you with that information, you can't the manager can't acquire it. If it was in the CCNRs that all owners must provide this to the board, then yes, you can acquire it, but absent that cannot. Question seven. How can we legally distinguish between tenants and roommates? One homeowner has six roommates in his home. That's a really good question. So, I mean, I would, in theory, roommates pay rent. So I would send a letter to the owner and may um, also the overall occupancy, the and be opposed by your city, town, or county. So you might want to check in too. But I would send a letter, have the board send a letter asking for information about, you know, who's living in the property. Is there like a landlord-tenant relationship? Um, And if so, you can ask for the names. You said just go through the categories of information, the names of the adults, their vehicle license plate numbers and vehicle description. All of that information you can ask for or from them. Okay, question number eight. Can you define tenant versus occupant? This is an interesting idea in terms of fees where we use the term tenant. Okay, so a tenant is going to be typically somebody who there's an exchange of money for them to live in the property. An occupant could be like a family member or a friend who's just hanging out there, staying there for a couple weeks. Maybe, you know, they're being allowed to stay there for free. Um, Again, in this situation, you just need to reach out to the owner and ask for more information. Is there you know, is this a tenant? And if so, you are required to provide us with this information. Now, if it's just a friend that's there, they, the owner can decline and say, listen, this is not a landlord tenant type situation here in our, it's a friend that I'm to stay here. And under the CCRs, I have a right to delegate okay. into my home to a friend if I want to. Next question, number nine, who retains the $25 registration fee, the association or the property management company if they are managing their registration process and monitoring it? Well, the association can charge $25 fee and $15 late fee if the tenant information is provided in 15 days. Now who gets that money is really gonna depend on what the management contract between the associations and the management company says. And so, you know, the law says that the association can charge it. So if the association wants to take the $25, you certainly have the right under the law. But recognize that the management company may have negotiated a contract that says they get that money. So you have to look at that contract to determine the answer to that question. Next question, number 10. I'm an interested in Our HOA board just required that we sign up for online parking permits. If a guest is to stay past 10 p.m., we must pay a fee of $5 per each vehicle for a party of $10, $50. Many owners are upset and think that we have to pay for a guest to stay past 10 p.m., and but that we are required to create an account online with the business and provide vehicle and contact information guests. As part of the agreement, we have to allow data collection to the multiple companies. Are there any laws that would prevent this? You know, this is really weird. I've never heard of anything like this. At first glance, I think it's possibly not enforceable. It would need to be in CCNRs for sure if you were going to be charging for something like this. But again, this is just kind of out there. I don't, I don't think this is nothing that I would ever advise a client to do. And so you may want to get, it sounds like you're a homeowner, interested homeowner. You may want to raise this issue with the board and get your own attorney to send them a letter on this because it, it does not appear to be enforceable. But I don't have all the facts on it. So you have to, I'd have to see all the paperwork to definitively say, yeah, I don't think this can be done. But at first glance, this doesn't look good. Okay, next question. Number 11, which state law is it that the landlord is possibly responsible for criminal activity? Okay, so it's ARS thirty three eighteen oh six point zero one I, I think it is, or L. Provides that an owner of a rental property shall abate criminal activity as authorized in Section 12-991. It's really specific in that they have to abate criminal activity. They're going to be held responsible if there's criminal activity going on in their property and they don't do anything to abate that criminal activity. Now, they're not going to be charged criminal activity that the tenant was doing, but they are going to be charged potentially for not evading that criminal activity. Okay, next question. HOA board member says he's not renting, but his sister lives at the property. No rentals are allowed. The assessor's website doesn't show it's a rental. Is this legal? It probably is. Now, I mean, you'd have to find out, is the sister paying rent, you know, or is she just truly living there for free? These are always tough calls whenever people have friends coming in to stay and, you know, you don't have any information that shows otherwise. But let's say the sister goes for some Saturday and she talks to a, another owner there and says, oh, I'm so lucky. My brother's letting me live here and I only have to pay $500 a month. Well, then that sounds like a rental relationship to me and that I would have to rent. But again, it's hard to those. Next question, number 13, as a board, how do we know if the landlords have insurance required by the city and or county? Really great question. It depends on how the cities and counties are going to write up, you know, their ordinances and requirements pursuant to the law that's going to effect on the 24th. So what I would suggest is that you reach out to the city or town or county that you live in after this weekend and find out, are you going to require this type of insurance pursuant to this new law? And how would we go about getting information? Now remember, if the property is listed in an online portal like VRBO or some mm-hmm. other online rental services, they probably get insurance through that. And you likely would be able to write a letter asking for copy that insurance as this board. Okay, next question. Is month-to-month rental considered short-term? So I'm guessing typically what happens is, so short answer, probably yes, it is, um, because you're just doing like a 30-day 30, 30 you know, date rental and it just kind of keeps getting rude. But sometimes, you know, it's, it's been like a year at least, let's say, six fires, of just going on month to month. I would be cautious and I wouldn't be in favor of you saying to somebody, like, let's say you have a minimum year rental period and somebody is extending their lease by just saying month to month, I don't think you can say that they're short term, you know, rental in violation of your minimum rental period or something like that. Um, so you want to just look at the facts of each matter and determine, you know, whether this is a short term rental or not. Question 15. Uh, we successfully passed a 30 day minimum rental in our revised CCNRs. However, we still have auditors who violate the rule. What are our enforcement options? We talked about that a little bit here today, right? So enforcement options would be, number one, have the association send a letter to the owner regarding the violation. Number two, fine the owner after getting notice and the opportunity to be heard. Hire an attorney to send a letter or do a phone call to the owner. Filing a lawsuit against the owner in Superior Court, going to the Department of Real Estate, Arizona Department of Real Estate, and um, filing an administrative complaint to be heard by an administrative law judge, you can see there are all different ways to, to rectify this problem. Obviously, like I said earlier in this presentation, if you want to make it hurt for the landlord, make it hurt in their pocketbook. big like fines, attorney's fees, you know, and potentially having to pursue a lawsuit. Okay, next question. Let's see, number 16. Can an HOA change ccrs to prevent any new homeowners from renting their units? So I think kind of what you're thinking on this is, okay, we're going to grandfather everybody who lives in the association and we're going to pass an amendment that says any new owner who purchases after this date, sir, I think probably it's going to be the date that the CCRs, new CCRs get recorded, can no longer rent. I mean, it's possible that that's something that you definitely can do. Um, we have to look at whether you look a condominium or a planned community. But that is kind of a creative way to stand in legal challenges because whoever's buying, they know what they're getting into. They see you right there, and they get the CCRs close to them as part of the disclosure statement. Hey, no rentals. Um, you make it pushback from smaller or so because they want to have options when they sell their property, and if they think that they can only sell to owners who are going to be owner occupied, it could well limit their pool of people that would will be willing to buy. Just just a couple thoughts. I think that's. That's helpful to get you pointed in the right direction. Okay, nine more questions. Uh, number 17 How does the recent Arizona Supreme Court ruling impact CCNR amendments? Really good. good question. So there's a recent case that was decided by the Arizona Supreme Court that seems to limit um, the ability of associations to pass amendments that aren't foreseeable um, to the membership or the owners. I really think I thought a lot about this. And if you look at, you know, what the 2016 legislature did, they basically, through statutory changes, they told us if you want to implement minimum or you want to implement rental restrictions, you have to make an amendment to your CCNRs. And so I think the way to argue this, if you want to implement changes to somehow regulate rentals or eliminate rentals. You're going to want to rely on that statute and say this is what the legislature told us to do, and and uh, you know I don't have a name an answer her because there hasn't been a case yet where this has actually been decided by an appellate court. But my inclination is, and I'm pretty conservative on these things, is that this would stand a bill challenge if we could argue that hey, the legislature told us this is what we, do if we yeah. want to implement this. And that being said, too. Prior to 2016, um, we didn't really need this. It wasn't foreseeable that this could happen because all of this was handled, the rental part of it was handled through coordinatives and cities. So I, I we're still doing rental restriction amendments for helping clients with rental restriction amendments and adult prohibition in associations. We do mention the risk with the new lawsuit that there could be a, a challenge to it, but we're writing it in such we think will. Stand any challenge that could be made. Okay, next question: Can an HOA restrict commercial vehicles? Uh, yes, it would need to be in your CCNRs. Um, in order to do that, there's a couple little exceptions for emergency vehicles under state laws. So you would want to become familiar with that if it's a emergency responder that needs vehicle at home they would probably be a loophole or exclusion to any amendment that you would do on that. But generally speaking, yes. Okay, next question, number 19. We have several rentals that are not part of our HOA, but within our subdivision of a builder. We allow use of our common areas, such as the pool, with a small fee paid to us. Can we ask that they follow our rules and regulations? For example, pet must be under 40 pounds. If your rules say that, And you're saying they're not part of your HOA, but you're allowing them to use the pool with small fees. Well, if you're allowing them to use your pool, then, of course, you can tell them that we have rules at the pool and you can't do this. So, it's enforceable. Question 20. In planning limits on the total number of rental units in a community, does that require an amendment to the CC&Rs or can it be changed by a majority vote on the board? So, this association wants to put a limit on how many rentals there can be in an association, like only 20% of the units can be rented or something like that. That definitely we to put in the CCNRs as a CCNR amendment. And that's not something to be changed just by a majority of the board. Okay, next question, question 21. And let's see, what if the HOA or condo community is allowing some owners to say they are just friends and relatives staying? Your condo, and that the community should not be concerned when they see people coming and going. Our rules require a thirty-day minimum rental, but may not be enforced on some units because they say that they're their friends. You know, we talked about this a couple times now in the questions. These are hard to prove. Um, I would ask the owner to document who's coming in and out so that so the association is aware of who's coming into the property and, you know, who's off has been there and who's not, at this is a frequent thing, gently remind them of whatever rental restriction policies you may have in place. But unless you have any evidence that they are actually exchanging money, it's going to be hard using it as a short-term rental. Okay, next question. Is there a definition for a short-term rental? Yes. If you go to, there was a statute recently, um, Senate Bill 1168, that talks about. Vacation rentals and short term rentals. Look that up online. I've just go to the Arizona Legislature's webpage and um, Google that Arizona Legislature. Type in Senate Bill 1168 in the search engine. You get to that page. And there's a section that gives the definition of a vacation rental or a short term rental. Generally speaking, it means any individually or collectively owned single family or one to four family house or dwelling unit or any unit or group of units, or the condominium, or cooperative, that is also a transient public lodging establishment or other occupied residential home offered for transient use if the accommodations are not classified in property taxation under Section 120 This does not include a unit that is used for any non-residential use, including retail, restaurant, banquet space, event center, and similar use. Okay, we're getting down to the end. We're down to our last five questions. This question is A couple bought a home in our town hall community. Our understanding is when they complete renovating it, they plan to use it as an Airbnb. Our CCNRs prohibit any resident from learning a business of any type within their home. They said that they were going to put their property into an LLC. They will not be living in the home. Would that be considered learning a business from that home? Interestingly, no. Not there the business restrictions in your CCNRs, unfortunately, do not extend over to rentals and rental properties. So if you want to restrict short-term rentals in your community to stop something like this from happening, you would need to do an amendment to your CCNRs. Okay, last four questions. When Arizona legislature passes new laws, do they print amendments to the existing laws? Um, yes, they do. So starting after the 24th, you can go to the Arizona Legislature's page, and the new changes should be implemented when you look at the, the listing of the codified laws. Next question 25. Our legal counsel has advised us in the context of the Arizona Supreme decision of Cowley versus Calabria Ranch, which is the case we've been talking about here today that puts some limitations on rental, on um, amending rs that our lawyer has told us that we halt our efforts to pursue amendments to our cc to restrict vacation and short-term rentals, pending further clarification by the legislature or the courts. In that light, do you recommend that we at least implement HUA monitoring and management of short-term rentals per the recent legislation? We currently have no established HOA practice to track or manage vacation or short-term rentals by our community management committee. Okay, so I, as I stated previously, we are not telling clients to stop passing amendments to CCNRs based upon the Trelawny case. What we are telling them is be cautious. Let's think it through. Let's have a strategy about how we structure the amendments. And so, I'm going to respectfully disagree. Let's let your legal counsel say. Do I recommend that you start monitoring how many you have in your community? Of course, you, you should be keeping an order list and. It, under the law, you're required to. And if you want to make a notation that, hey, this is rental property and this is not a rental property, you certainly have the right to do that. It's useful information for when you do ultimately decide to do an amendment. You need to know how many you know, properties you have in your community that are rentals versus rentals. And something to think about is the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be for you to get those votes to implement that short term rental amendment. So really think that through, you know, because it can take years for the legislature or the court system to have another case like and have a decision to better clarify that Calaway case. Okay, next question, number 26. The new law regarding political and first responder signs and flags seems to allow on the owner's property in that we have a patio home condominium community, and the association apparently owns everything, such as the front lawns. But inside the unit walls, can the association still restrict display other than say inside? Okay, so the, the first responder flags or the you know, the other United States flag. I mean, the first responder flag is just kind of like an extension of the existing flag law that says that owners should be allowed to fly American flag, armed services flags, um, and now it's extended to first responder flags. So if you live in a condo, where can you fly them? You put angry right inside it. Nope. The one way you could hang from um, the eliminate common elements, typically it is okay. What you can't do is put it on a common basis. Okay, next question. What if the renter was renting before the HOA changed the CCRs to require a minimum of 30 days rental? Can they be grandfathered in? Maybe that's a good question. I'd have to know more. So if the renter was already renting... Before the HOA changed, I don't know what I was renting previously. So maybe they come every March to Arizona and rent your condo. Um, and it depends on how the amendment is structured. The amendments say um, that effective this date, there has to be a minimum 30-day rentals. Um, did it grant file their existing orders? I, I don't have that information. But it sounds to me like any new rentals that are amended, that are created after the amendment, would have to be a the rent. Now, if the owner is using like an online platform and they booked out months in advance, the association potentially could have a legal problem because now that owner is breaking contracts. So talk to your attorney about this um, and come up with a plan. Or anybody may have to allow the owner commitments, let send their dates so that you don't get sued by the owner. Um, than any ones after those commitments not be allowed. I think that's it. Got through all our questions. 27 questions, an hour and three minutes presentation on red restrictions. We got it done today. Covered a lot of information. So thanks so much for hanging in there and being there with us today. We have a lot of learning opportunities coming up. Um, and so we want to make sure that you're aware of that. First things first, we had 104 live viewers here today on Zoom and many others joined us on Facebook Live. So thanks so much for being here today and sharing about your communities and wanting to learn more about this important topic. Our virtual First Friday free call-in is going to be Friday, October 7th at 9 Um, a.m. This is an opportunity for anybody to join us on Zoom or Facebook Live and ask one question for free. Um, It's just a great opportunity for board members or homeowners to reach out and ask a question about HRA or condo law that you don't have to try to stump. Um, And so we're going to be doing that again. It's always the first Friday of every month that you can join us on Facebook Live. If you can't be here live with us today, just so you know, we have all of our classes that we teach virtually. You can go back and listen to them um, on our website. Um, just go to com and go to our videos, our seminars tab, and uh, you'll see, yeah, upcoming classes listed on our seminars tab and see the classes that are taught. The video replays can be one click away from hearing uh, that class again. So just in conclusion, I want to wish everybody a happy fall first. And also, I want to thank our really wonderful partners, all the different cities, towns, municipalities that are joining with us. Provide this free education to homeowners, managers, and board members. So, special shout out to the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe for having the vision to put these classes together to provide this free information to people who want to make their communities better. So, have a great rest of the month, everybody, and I look forward to seeing you again in October. Don't forget, our free cheat sheets are available for download at Firm.com. The intent of our Zoom, Facebook Live, First Friday free call-in, videos, and podcast is to provide a forum for board members and community managers to receive answers to HOA and condo legal questions. Please note, the content in these sessions are general in nature and is not intended to and should not be relied upon or construed as legal opinion or legal advice regarding any specific issue or factual circumstance. You should directly consult with an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation.